I heard this story once about these two guys that are really, really good friends, go back years and years and years. One of them uh, was an alcoholic and was always finding himself at bars and at this one particular bar. Uh, and his friend was growing concerned about him. And so one evening, uh, he, his, his buddy thought, you know, i got to talk to him. i just got to be straight with him. And it went to the bar where he normally frequents. And he's, his buddy's sitting at the bar drinking as normal. And, and uh, you know, is getting to that point where, you know, it's pretty obvious he's probably having too much to drink. And, and his buddy sits down next to him. And he says, man, we got to talk. And um, I'm concerned about you. And I want to I wanna share with you why I'm so concerned about you. And he asked the bartender, he said, hey, give me two drinks. Put water in one glass and liquor in another glass. And so the guy put two drinks in front of him, one with water, one with liquor. The guy reached in his pocket and pulled out a little jar, had two worms in it. Put one worm in the jar of uh, the glass of water and one worm in the jar of liquor. And they both wiggle around for a little while, and pretty soon, obviously, the, the, the glass that had the liquor and the worm in it, the worm died. And but looked at, at, at his friend, who you know the alcoholic, and he said, "Did you see what happened?" I goes, "Yeah, I saw." So you, you get the point. Goes, yeah, I get the point. Do, do you really? You saw what happened. Did you get the point? Goes, "Yeah, no, I saw. I get, I get it." So what's the point? I said, the "Point's obvious. If I drink enough liquor, I won't have worms." Many people see the event of Christmas but miss the point of it. That, that's what I'm talking about. We see the event of it, but we miss the point of it. Can I share with you a couple of things that we missed the point on? That we, We've heard the story. Let me, let me share with you a couple of things we missed the point. Here, here's what the Bible says. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Y'all heard the story? And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. It's so interesting, man. I, I guarantee you, angels are not little fat babies with harps. They're, they're frightening creatures. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah of the Lord. This will be a sign to you. What's the sign? You're, you see it, but you're missing the point. A baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. These shepherds that the angels first appeared to were the Levitical shepherds that were in charge of watching the sheep that would be used for the sacrifice at the temple. They were to present the sheep that were the sheep without spot and without blemish. And when the mommy sheep would get ready to give birth to the baby sheep. They would take the mommy sheep into a special cave so it could give birth. And upon the birth of the little sheep, they would find one without spot, one without blemish, and they would wrap it in swaddling cloth to protect it because it was special and unique, prepared for sacrifice. So when the angel said, this will be a sign to you, you'll find a baby wrapped in cloth, that made sense to them. Because they had not only seen the event, they got the point. When the lambs were born to protect them and to prepare them for sacrifice, they were wrapped in swaddling cloths. 
It's interesting, though, the way they were wrapped was also akin to being wrapped for burial. So at the advent of this baby being born, the sign to the shepherds is that it was wrapped as the sacrificial lamb that they had done their entire career. Marked for burial. They got the point. Don't miss the point of Christmas. Not only that, but you've heard this story about how when Mary and Joseph showed up to Bethlehem, because the Bible says that in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and they all had to go back to their place of family origin, and Joseph's place of family origin was Bethlehem, so they had to go back so that the government could do what the government does so well, tax people. And so we know the story. They go to Bethlehem, and what do they find as far as a place to live, to, to lodge? What do they find? They found first no room where? Here's the problem. We misunderstand. See, we see the event, but we miss the point. We misunderstand the word in. Bethlehem was such a small, podunk, podunk, nothing, backwater town. It was tiny. It was insignificant. It was minuscule. Archaeologically, historically, there was no inn in Bethlehem. There, there wasn't a need for one. There was no public inn in Bethlehem for which there to be no room. The word used in the Bible for inn is kataluma, which literally means Upper room or guest house. It's the exact same room. When Jesus, with his disciples, shared a meal before his handing over to those who would crucify him, it's the exact same word, shared a, room, shared a meal with his disciples in the upper room. Exact same word. None of us would think that disciples and Jesus rented the conference center at Holiday Inn to do that meal, right? We understand what it means. Same word where they found no room in the upper room. The word for public in in Greek is pandosion, and it's not used here. See, in those days, hospitality was huge. They would never stay at a hotel, even if one were available, if they have family around. Bethlehem was the town of their family. And so they would stay with their family. Now, I'm very thankful that that is not the culture that I live in. I would much rather stay at a hotel than stay with extended family. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. In the homes back then, they were usually multi-leveled because here's why. At the bottom story on the ground level were the animals. That's where the animals lived protected by the upper level where the people lived. And that way the people received the heat coming up from the animals, also the smells, but they were protected there. So there was no room for them in the upper room, which is where the humans lived. So they stayed. Jesus came for family. He lived for family. He died for family. And he's invited us to be a part of it. See, I think we've seen the event, but we've often missed the point. So why Christmas? Why, why is Christmas so dynamite? 
Did any of you think, just humor, did any of you think about that this week? Did you? Good. Did you think about it in terms of me and my afro? <laughs> That's awesome. Can I tell you why, one reason why Christmas is so dynamite? See, last week we talked about the whole idea was God's prerogative. It was God's prerogative to be quiet for 400 years and set stuff up in the background. It was God's prerogative at the timing of the advent of His Son. It's all at God's prerogative. He's God. Can I tell you why? Can I tell you about the, the, the purpose of Christmas and why it's so dynamite? Here, here's, here's why. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together sexually, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. That is an explanation that you better be sure if you're going to pull that one out of the deck. You know what I'm saying? Like, wow, really? Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and the law said, if your spouse, was, if your wife was found to be pregnant outside of your marriage, the law said divorce her. So he was faithful to the law. He wasn't being mean, but he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. You've got to appreciate the guy's heart. I mean, if that had been today, it'd be all over social media, right? Can you believe? So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Just doing what the law says. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. Because why? Because he'll save his people from their sins. It's the purpose of the dynamite of Christmas. So all this took place to fulfill. I want you to remember that phrase. What the Lord has said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I want you to notice something. Joseph gets the word that Mary's pregnant. And his first thought is, well, we're done. Can I please encourage you at this? Sometimes our first inclination is not God's intention. Do you understand what I'm saying? Things will happen in life, and it will get all bad, and your first inclination will be, I'm out. That's probably not God's intention. Slow down. Suspend your judgment until clearly God directs. And when God directs, it will be clearly according to His already revealed Word. All this took place while He had already spoken. Then you act boldly. Notice, the angel's first words to, to, to Joseph were what? Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. When God gives you a direction, now understand, and this is more and more important, the, the more society chooses to walk away from his word, when God gives his word and it's clearly understood in scripture, it's going to feel as though it is very contrary to what the law is saying, what the world's saying, what the opinions are. Don't be afraid of his word. In other words, hear him say, don't be afraid of how I am directing you right now. It's going to be okay. 
Now, verses 21 and 23. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. All this took place to fulfill. You've seen the event. Don't miss the point. Initially, all Joseph saw was a dead end. That's all he saw. Joseph, I got news for you. A girl that you love that has been arranged for you that you're going to marry, she's pregnant and it ain't yours. All he saw was a dead end. The end of a hope of a marriage, the end of a hope of a family, the end of a hope of him raising his own kids, the end of the hope of a wife, the end. But what Joseph saw as the end, God was making into something dynamite. There was no way that Joseph at this moment could imagine anything good coming out of this. There's no way. My guess is some of you are at a point right now where in the back of your mind you're thinking, I I don't know how something dynamite is going to come out of this. Some of you are there. Some of us have been there. I don't know how God's going to turn this one around. But can I tell you, the dynamite of Christmas is that God has a way to do immeasurably more than what you can ever think or hope or imagine. Someone said it like this, God can take the manure of your past and make it the fertilizer of your future. And some of you get so wrapped up in the stink of the now that you just want to walk out. Don't. Whatever is going on in life, whatever is going on in life right now, it all takes place to fulfill. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's the dynamite of Christmas. Jesus was born, according to this passage, for one reason, one purpose. What is it? to save his people from their sins. This is the issue of forgiveness. Now, we're going to talk about forgiveness, but there are three aspects to forgiveness. And unfortunately, most of the time in church, the only aspect of forgiveness he's talking about is God forgiving us of our sins. And that's one of the three aspects, but there's three of them we need to talk about because we need to understand them. So here's the deal. The purpose of Christmas is to save us from sin. Okay? It's the purpose of Christmas. It's a dynamite of Christmas. Sin is a reality. Now understand, if there were no sin, there'd be no Christmas. So since the bad news, Christmas is the good news. Sin is, here's, here's the definition, anything outside the biblical standard. Okay, that's the definition. Anything outside God's standard is sin. Here's the thing, all of us have been outside that standard. All of us have. The Bible's very clear. For all have sinned, right, and fall short of God's glory, of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. So we've all been outside that standard. That means we have all sinned, which means we are all sinners, okay? Now, the, the result of that, there's consequences to sin. For the wages of sin is death. 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the consequences of being outside of God's standard is death, is destruction, is a separation of what should be whole. The illegitimate separation of what should be whole is the biblical definition of death. So when our marriages are outside of God's standard, there's consequences, there's destruction. When our finances are outside of God's standard, there's consequences, there's destruction. In every area. That's the bad news. But Christmas isn't about the bad news, Christmas is about the good news. So the remedy of sin is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us, to make us whole, to make us right, to heal us. I'm struggling because I got some stuff on my notes here I don't think I'm going to go through because it's, it may be a conversation for another time. No, let me just let me let me just let me say this. The, the here's the thing. Here's my question. Can you admit that you're a sinner? Can you agree that God has a standard that you've not lived up to? That's the question. That's difficult for a lot of people for a number of reasons. One, we live in a culture that wants to say of us, I'm a good person. And that might be true. You might be a good person compared to the person you married or you're sitting next to. I don't know. I'm not to say you're good or bad compared to somebody else. I guarantee you can find people you're better than. But that's not the standard that determines sin. And if the standard that determines sin is God's is God, then none of us are good comparatively. You understand? What's hard for our culture to admit, too, is that God is the standard. That's being called into question. Not just in culture outside of church, but that's being called into question in the church. That now people are doing all kinds of theological, doctrinal, and mental gymnastics to try to say that the Bible, what has always the Bible said, has sin is no longer sin. And what the Bible is, what's always been outside the Bible's parameters are now no longer outside the Bible's parameters. And this idea of sin, that God's standard is the standard, and anything outside of that standard of sin is not very culturally sensitive. Because most people do not want to acknowledge that God's standard is the only standard. The Bible says that there's a way that seems right to man, but it only ends in death. And so there's a way that seems right in our current cultural mix that seems right. Why wouldn't God? Why does God? It doesn't make sense to me. It seems right to man, but the end result... Of, here's Chesterton said this, Never take down a fence till you know why the fence has been put up. And so as our culture moves further and further away from taking on these fences that God says, this is my standard, we get in a very precarious position. Do you understand? And it's easier for people to reinterpret God's word to fit how they feel rather than submit their feelings to God's word. A biblical worldview, and here, here's what I think most people are lacking. I don't think I know. 
they're lacking a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview is the, is the discipline of viewing my life through the lenses of the Bible. And that's not what most people do. Most people view the Bible through the lens of their life. And that's why they say, well, because I feel, then the Bible must say. Because I believe, then God must then. It's a humanistic worldview. It's not a biblical worldview. Sin is anything that's outside of God's standard. And so it's really simple to assess our own, not everybody else's, don't go there, but our own sinfulness. Because all we do is hold whatever the issue is up to Scripture. So here's it. It's easy to discover if you're single the rightness or the wrongness, the sin or the holiness of your singleness. Is your singleness in line with God's Scripture. If it's not, you're in sin. You understand? This gets real easy. Are my finances in line with God's biblical standard of finances? If it's not, as good as you might be, you are in sin. Is my social media presence and posting in line with God's standards? If not, right? Now listen, I'm not being a hater. Okay, I'm not. But this is why it gets so difficult to deal with this first issue. Because inevitably, every one of us could come up with something in us that is outside of God's standard, right? And if it is, then we're living in sin. And so it's real easy to discern. What do I need to do then? Well, one, I need to seek God's forgiveness. Right? then I need to do what I can do in the process of repentance and changing. Do you understand? So if your singleness is outside of God's purview, change how you're living as a single person. Seek His forgiveness. If your finances are outside of His standard, seek His forgiveness to bring your finances in line with His standard. It's, I mean, when you look at it, when it's not your stuff, it's pretty easy to figure out what you got to do, right? So whatever the issue is, if it's outside of God's standard, it's sin. And so the biblical worldview world says, I have to view everything in my life through the lens of Scripture and adjust everything in my life to come in line with Scripture. I didn't know if I was going to tell you this, uh, this early, but I'm, I'm going to now. On January 5th, I'm going to start this thing that I'm calling Flipside Unplugged and Uncensored. So if you think my teaching has been a little bit like, wow, um, you're pressing some boundaries, just wait. But here's what I'm going to deal with. I'm going to deal with every maybe quarter or so some of those super hot button topics that don't get talked about, but that everybody in church has wondered. And I'm just going to deal with it from Scripture. Not in an antagonistic way. Not in I'm going to win, show you, and nothing like that. But let's just understand. And so just tell me real quick, what are some of those big hot topic, hot topic issues that people don't really talk about much in church? What are they? 
abortion. What else? Politics? Homosexuality? Is that a hot topic? Racism? So, here's the deal. This is interesting. Because marijuana is legal now, is it wrong? Wouldn't you like to know? Like how do how how do we how do we how do we take this thing that isn't explicit? Maybe not be like thus saith the Lord. So this is what we're going to talk about. January fifth, mark it down. I'm gonna start. The first one I'm gonna deal with is is homosexuality compatible with Scripture? That's the first one. Okay, and it's not um, it's not mean. We're just going to look at some of the stuff that's there and look at the Bible and see what God really has to say and what Jesus really has to say. Might surprise you one way or the other. So, flip side, uncensored, unplugged. And my goal is to start to help us establish a biblical worldview for all this stuff that from our perspective, it's not really super clear. Do you understand? But it has to beginning and end start with God's standard. And anything contrary to that is sin. Now, I have admitted from day one that I'm a sinner. Are you real enough to join me in that admittance? Are you a sinner separated from God apart from salvation in Christ? The fact is I need someone to save me from the consequences of my sin. And so do you. Do you understand? And that is Jesus. And that's why He came. That's the dynamite of Christmas. And it is available for all who would ask Him. No qualifications. No change of life before you ask. That comes afterwards as the Holy Spirit works that out. And that's the first aspect of forgiveness of the purpose of Christmas. But there's two more aspects that doesn't, don't, don't get a lot of publicity. Now I want you to watch the correlation between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of each other. Because they're related. Do you want to know how much they're related? You sure heard? Because once you know, you're responsible. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. There's another verse after that. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You need more proof of the correlation between the two? Do you want more proof? You're like, no, I don't. One verse I might be able to spend away, but more? Blessed are the merciful towards other people, because what will they get from God? You understand the correlation? Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Here's, the, here's the, uh, the second aspect about forgiveness. We must forgive others their offenses done to us. We have to. We have to. Understand, if the forgiveness 
we have received, and we just established that we, we've lived outside God's standard. The only remedy of that is forgiveness by Jesus. If the forgiveness we received is at the cost of the blood of Jesus, if that has been so ineffective in our hearts that we are still bent on grudges and unforgiveness and bitterness, bitterness towards each other, how hypocritical are we? How can I continue to hold a grudge against someone when I have not been offended to the degree I have offended God to the extent that offering forgiveness requires the death of my son? See, some of us struggle to forgive, and that's not what destroys us. On earth, we do things imperfectly, all that we love imperfectly, we serve imperfectly, we give imperfectly, we forgive imperfectly. Struggling to forgive is not, the, is not the issue. Jesus died to cover our imperfections. What destroys us is the settled position not to forgive. And this is where some of you live. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another. Read this last part with your mouths open out loud. Ready to go. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. The dynamite of Christmas is the example given to us of forgiveness. Because in Christ we have been shown the model of forgiveness, how we are to forgive each other. Because Jesus was born to forgive us, he's given us the model of how we are to forgive each other. Now, you want to put this in real terms? Imagine that you are forgiven by God just like the way you have forgiven your ex. Do you want me to put it in real terms? Imagine that you are forgiven by God the way you have forgiven that person who did that to you. And you know what I'm talking about. Imagine you are forgiven by God to the extent you have forgiven that person that told those lies about you and said those things about you. Imagine you are forgiven by God just like the way you have forgiven that person who treated you that way. More than that, you parents. Imagine you are forgiven by God to the extent you have forgiven those people who said that and did that to your child. Do you understand the way to forgiveness? So let's just do a, a quick little assessment now. How many of us in this place, in thinking in terms of forgiveness and the correlation between God's forgiveness of us and us forgiveness of others, have someone that we probably need to still work on forgiving? Remember the Bible verse that said, those who give mercy get it, and those who give judgment without mercy only get judgment back? This is a hard truth, isn't it? Here's the thing. The goal is not to make it easy. The goal is to transform relationships and transform hearts. One of the most deadly things in a marriage 
is for spouses to hold on to grudges and bitterness about the other, about what they never lived up to becoming that you hoped they would be when you married them. And though you might not fight outrightly, though you might, and though I hope the issue of divorce never enters your mind, though it may, to carry the grudges and the bitterness and the disappointment and the frustration year after year after year will destroy not just you and your relationship with your spouse, but will impede to the nth degree your relationship with God. Understand? This is the biblical worldview of marriage. Part of it. Forgiveness is not just saying the words, I forgive you. It's the active process of the conscious decision to let go of the negative feelings, whether the person deserves it or not. It, forgiveness is, is important not just because our relationship with us and God. It's important physically. Did you know that Johns Hopkins did a study? And they said that asking for that, that, that the act of forgiveness has huge phys- health rewards, lowers the risk of heart attack when we forgive, improves cholesterol levels, helps you sleep better, then you wake up tired, reduces pain lowers blood pressure, lowers levels of anxiety, lowers levels of depression, lowers levels of stress. This is the physical, medical, scientifically proven results of the act of forgiveness. 62% of adults have stated they need to be more forgiving. This is the dynamite of Christmas. Not only that, you can turn to it later. 3 John 2, I've never preached on this, but I'm going to one of these days. It says literally, may your physical health match your spiritual health. Can you imagine? Most of us spend so much time trying to eat better and exercise and lose weight and work on our our cholesterol level and our sugar level and all this other stuff and never pay attention to one of the things that will impede our relationship spiritually with God more than anything else, the act of unforgiveness. Never address that. And we languish physically. Every time you step on that scale and that needle goes a little too far, think, I need to forgive somebody. And the benefits of forgiveness aren't just physical, though there are many. Do you know that Matthew 18 says this? When we don't freely forgive others, we're turned over to the tormentors. Now, I'm not talking about the dementors like in Harry Potter. We're spiritually tormented when we hold grudges. 2 Corinthians 2 talks about the idea that forgiveness keeps Satan from having an advantage over you. So that means that unforgiveness gives the devil advantage over you. Do you understand? If you've ever had that thing in your life that is absolutely controlling that you can never break free of, I'm not saying it is, but I'm just asking the question, could it be because there is an issue of unforgiveness in your heart and you've been handed over? So this issue of forgiveness, first seek God's forgiveness. It's the only thing that's going to heal us from, from the act and, the, and the, the, the person of being a sinner make us right with him through faith in Jesus. Second is to forgive. But there's another aspect to this 
We have to seek forgiveness of those we've wronged. We have to seek forgiveness of those we've wronged. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. If any of you are off, if you're at church and you're getting ready to give that offering because the 60 seconds are, are going down on the clicker, and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, it's not even you have something against them, it's they have something against you. Like I'm I'm in the clear, but they have something against you. You're not even the one at fault, but there is an issue between relationships. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go be reconciled to them and then come back and give your offering. <laughs> it's, no, they said, don't, don't, don't not give. <laughs> I just think that's funny as a pastor. I just think that's like still give it. <laughs> but, but the important thing here is the idea that look, if there's something between that's your job, even if you're not the one at fault. Do you realize that? It's a biblical worldview of relationships. It's not your fault. I get that, even when it's not, though a lot of it is. But even when it's not, it's your job to go seek forgiveness. Now, when we ask God to forgive us of when it's appropriate, when you've broken his laws, absolutely. But we can't just ask God's forgiveness when we've sinned against another person. That's not enough. When I sin against you, I can't ask God to forgive me for my sin against you. He will never grant that power. I can ask God to forgive me for how I've broken his laws and how I'm supposed to treat you. But I have, to, I have to seek the person who I've offended and ask their forgiveness for the, my transgression upon them. Do you understand? And as much as it's possible, you seek the person's forgiveness. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes they're not around. Sometimes they're dead. Sometimes to go back and rehash a bunch of stuff is going to cause more problems presently and for other people. And so sometimes within your power, you do what you can. It's up to them to forgive. It's up to us to ask. Do you understand? I just wonder if again, not only might there be things that we need to come clean before God and say, God, I need your forgiveness. That's why you came at Christmas, at the dynamite of Christmas, so I can have forgiveness by you. And not only do I have to let go of the grudges, that some of you are still carrying, you still see that person, and in your heart it goes, ah, and you go like, I just don't, ah. You haven't forgiven. And I wonder how many of us are still at that point where, yes, we've asked God to forgive us of our sin, but we've never gone to that person. Say, look, man, I just need to ask you forgiveness. I feel like I'm right with God as much as I can be without being right with you, which is not at all. So here's the dynamite of Christmas for you this year. Here's the dynamite of Christmas. This is the purpose of the whole thing. Start by getting right with Jesus. Acknowledge that you've broken his laws and his standards and ask his forgiveness. It seemed as though in this context, most of you agreed with me that you were there. It seemed that in this context, most of you did not agree with me that you have forgiven like you need to, nor sought forgiveness. Do you understand? Start by, come up here, Rick. Start by getting forgiven by God. Start by asking him, God, I've broken your law. I admit it. I need your forgiveness over my life. And then carry it to the next step and seek forgiveness of those that you've wronged. Actively tell them. Do you know how powerful it is for a husband and wife to sit across from each other and say, look, honey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
I was wrong. Maybe you were wrong first, but... (laughs) Do you know how much it, how powerful it is for a parent to sit down from their child and say, look, son, look, sweetie, look, daughter, I would, daddy blew it. And I need to ask your forgiveness. Do you know what it is to go back to your parents and say, look, I'm sorry, mom and dad. You know the freedom that's waiting for you? Not only that, but do you understand the freedom of saying, you know what, it, my judgment of you is not, it's not my role anymore. I've held you under my judgment for what you've done, for what I've experienced, for what you've done to those I've loved for so long. And it's kept me warm at night oftentimes, but I'm letting it go. Vengeance against you and your hurt over me is not up to me. It's God's, and I'll let him handle it. You are released. That is so powerful. And it's so necessary time and time and time. Here's a Christmas can be dynamite. And your breakthrough can come. But it's going to, hear me on this, it's going to come through the acts of forgiveness. The acts of it. Time and time and time again. And some of you are going to work through this right now. And you're going to have to rework through it tonight. And you're going to wake up in the morning having to do it all over again. And you're going to do it constantly through tomorrow. And all through this week. And there's going to come a time when you're going to wake up and realize, I am free now. I have been set free Free from my, the interruption between me and God. Free from the interruption between me and you. I've let you go. I've let the hurt go. And I'm waking up now, not under the oppression and depression of this ongoing building of unforgiveness, but I'm waking up now as a new creation in Christ. Where the old is gone and the new has come and all things have been made new. That's the breakthrough of Christmas and that's why Jesus came. There is a breakthrough coming, but God is not going to impose that breakthrough on you. It's going to come from you rising up in your heart and saying, God, I seek your forgiveness and I give your forgiveness and I seek forgiveness. Is that what you want? Father, thank you for this day.